Hello, welcome to Sailing Uncovered, episode 35. I'm Alec Wilkinson, sportscaster, Olympic commentator and sailing fan. The Solitaire de Figaro is billed as the world's toughest annual solo sailing race, but this year it's more than that. It's about the sport of sailing, about athletes and fans, about the human species saying, up yours, COVID-19. You're not going to stop us doing what we love. Of course, it helps to be the ultimate socially distanced sports event, doesn't it? With them going all off single-handed offshore for days and days. The race boats are foil-assisted Figaro 3s. More on those later. And the 35 skippers from Six Nations will cover around 1,800 miles in four stages on Europe's toughest waters. Exciting stuff this, isn't it? And another great thing is that it'll fill most of September for us with some top-notch drama. Let's get all the details and the excitement of the race from Alan Roberts, who's competing. He's one of three British skippers taking part. And uh, it's got to be said, Alan, uh, that the French are just a little overrepresented with 27 boats. Yeah, no, the, the numbers are uh, not in our favour. But I mean, so far in the, in the three races we've had this year, there's been a Brit on the podium of every, every race, which is pretty encouraging. And, um, and we're starting to build up a bit of experience. And it's great to see, you know, uh, you know, the other skippers, Sam and Phil out there. And, and also Jack, you know, all ex-Artemis Offshore Academy alumni, I guess. So coming back with a bit more experience and... Um, and seeing if we can take the take the top guys on. Yeah, so so Phil Sharp, Sam Goodchilds, and uh, Jack Bootle. Um, Jack's actually flying the Australian flag in, in this race. Um, we've also got a Swiss, two Irish in Tom Dolan and Ken Rumble, and Alberto Bona of Italy also uh, competing. Um, but Alan, um, I think this is going to be your seventh race. So yeah. what is it about this race that makes you keep coming back? Ah, oh, there's there's multiple reasons. I mean, it's it's the kind of race you either you either love it or you hate it, and I think it's pretty obvious. The numbers speak for me pretty loud. I I love it. Offshore sailing is fantastic, and single-handed offshore sailing is just for me another level. It's it's brilliant. But it's mainly, you know, I, the thing I love about it is it's it's such a learning ground. It's such a great school. It's really the, it's really the best place to to continue to develop. You know, not just shorthanded offshore sailing skills, but offshore sailing skills in, in general. And I think the class kind of speaks for itself in this when, when we see guys, you know, that have got way more experience than me. I'm still considered a nipper, I guess, in this world. You know, people like Michel Desjoyeaux, Loic Perron coming back to have a go. And it, it, there's always stuff to be learnt. And, and the class is, is so punishing that if, you, if you're not on every detail and, and you don't really want it, you, you know, you you won't be near the top so uh, you know that's the reason that's the reason i'm addicted to it i guess but you're 30 years old right and you're talking about yep. still still learning i mean at what point does you know can, can a sailor um in this discipline consider himself experienced do you think i'd say you start like any job you know um i would say after about 10 years you're starting to get you're getting pretty good grounding in terms of experience and I honestly believe when you look at the guys out there now, the, 
the peak of the short-handed offshore racing sport seems to be in your 40s almost so it's, it's quite a late peak compared to most sports let, let's break it down then um it's four legs three of them are a long distance around about 500 miles and then there's a, a sort of a, a short sprint at the end um so let's just look look through them the first one and you might want to um help us um you know by explaining where some of these places are because um we'll, we'll talk about france as a mecca for offshore sailing in a moment but um you know these locations these sort of um, stop off start and finish points are probably very well known in france but for um, non-french you might want to help us with the geography so um saint brieuc is it yep exactly yes yeah. so saint brieuc it's just uh, just west of saint malo um on the coast Côte d'Amour on the northern coast of Brittany. Um, so a lot of great sailors come out of here, you know, currently racing still Jan Elias, uh, Armour Leclerc, uh, Jeremy Bayus, so it's kind of their hometown, so Nicolas Troussard as well. So a very, a very sailing-based bay mm. and, and area. And that, that, so that's a round trip of about 640 miles. Um, and you, yeah. you, so you leave the French coast, you head up, sort of across the English Channel, um, into the Atlantic and round the Fastnet and back again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so round the Scillies, up up to the Fastnet, quick lap of the Fastnet, and then straight back down to Sunbury. So, interesting leg with kind of some cross tides on the go as we as we take on the English Channel. It's not a classic crossing, so not crossing it at ninety degrees, but um, over forty five as you say, and then up into the into the Celtic Sea where it can get you know pretty exposed to the Atlantic lows and choppy waters as as we know from um, fast net races and fast and then back back down to france and approaching the french coast and uh, always tidal around that that northern part of france right so plenty of challenges um not to mention the traffic as well in the english channel and then le leg two sambruc to dunkirk that's around 500 miles um via the english coast talk us through that yeah so that uh we go up to wolfrock which is off the south southwest point of, of the uk of england so we had head up out of somebody to wolf rock and then and then it's pretty much straight to dunkirk we have one mark to go around off le havre um and that and it takes us through the pinch point between dover and calais so again a lot of traffic but we're limited a bit with traffic separation zones but what there there is a lot of there is there's a lot of tide and it's going to be really tricky going around that coast then especially if we've if we've not got much wind and and yeah, finishing up in Dunkirk in, in the northern northern sea. So, and, and what what sort of speeds are you doing? <laughs> Obviously, wind dependent. But I, you know, upwind we're sailing at around seven knots. Off the breeze, reaching we can be anywhere between ten to fifteen, up to eighteen, twenty knots max. Then leg three, um, Dunkirk to Loire Atlantique, another five hundred mile along the French coast, the west coast of France. This one's a really interesting one because it takes us past what the French call the, the fisherman's graveyard, which is outside of Ushant, and then uh, and then then round that corner, around the outside of Brest, and again a hugely tidal area with at uh, this time of year a lot of seaweed and a lot of fishing boats to dodge. So uh, that's kind of it's kind of a classic, I would say, going around that around that area there. It's where the Jules Verne ends and starts. So it's pretty... why the fisherman's graveyard? I'm sure you, we've all seen the pictures of Fuji Colour out there and it looks about 50 knots so it's probably <laughs> only about 15 knots of wind and, and you know already the seas are pretty kicked up there's just a lot of tide 
it's it's exp as exposed as you can get to the Atlantic, and uh, yeah, big big waters, big winds. And and what about this this final sprint? 183 miles um, in around 24 hours. Um, talk us through that. That that's starting and finishing in Loire Atlantique. Yeah, exactly. So we've done this a couple of times, and it's quite an interesting leg because uh, it, although it's small. Um, there could still be huge separations in the fleet. And, and what happens is, is we basically, were, we arrive from leg three, we have a bit less time to recover and we go straight out into this 24 hour period and, and 24 hours, basically we don't sleep at all. We don't even get our head down while we're out there. So it's, a, it's pretty so much. How, how's it done? Is it, is it like you have to complete the 183 miles and if it takes you, I don't know, 36 hours, then so be it. Or are you disqualified if you go over the 24 hours? What, what's the, what are the rules? No, no, there's uh, so the, the finish line will be open for a given amount of time, dependent, dependent on the length of the race. It's not, it's not a 24 hour race. It's, they will pick some, they will pick a course that's roughly about 24 hours long. And, you know, it may, it may be 30, it may be 18. It, it, it will be around that, around that length. Kind of a pretty brutal finish to the, to the race in terms of, you know, you, you know you're, not, you, you're pretty fatigued by the time you come to the start of leg four. And, uh, and to know you're going to go 24 hours flat out, you've got to give it your all. And how long do you have between legs, you know, to, to recover uh, and, and also to fix the boat? Yeah, and do our media and uh, sponsor obligations. <laughs> mm. um, it's... It can be, it depends on the leg length for sure and how much wind we've had, but generally it's about two days. So it could be anywhere from three days to 24 hours. They wouldn't start us 24 hours after the last finisher um, just right. to allow, allow, you know, for safety point of view. So it's pretty much full on for sort of three to three and a half. It's almost a month, isn't it, really? The best way to look at it is we try to start the whole event at 100% um, in our fuel tanks personally, and then. And then you kind of diminish, you know, you'll end leg one at maybe 60% and you're able to recover up to 80%. And then, you know, leg two, you'll start at 80%, diminish down to 50, recover up to 70. And, and as you can quickly see, by the time you get to leg four, it's, uh, you, you're, you're pretty tired. You're running okay. off the fumes. Right. So what, what are the, the most, what, what are the biggest physical strains on you? Um, you know, is it, um, is it mental or, or is it actually physical? I think it, I think that depends for every sailor and every skipper as to what their their personal strengths and challenges are. I mean, for me personally, the mental side is is okay. It can be pretty challenging out there, but but I love it. So I enjoy the racing and I enjoy the boat. So that side's okay. It's it, it is also the boats are very physical. They're a step up from the Figaro Two the predecessor that we had two years ago. Um, so you you have to you have to be fit and strong. Uh, but the real biggest challenge is managing your body and managing the amount of sleep you get and the amount of energy you expend during racing. Uh, and then controlling that when you get ashore and ensuring that you recover and rest as well as possible. Well, let's talk about the boat and, and you know, what sort of boat management systems have you got on board that might help you sleep and, and get some rest? Yeah. Yeah. So our biggest friend out there really is, is the autopilot. So it's an electronic system that can steer the boat and, and it has multiple parameters that we, we program ourselves uh, to, to kind of control how the boat will steer. So it still requires our input. It doesn't do everything for us. Um, but there's times, you know, when, when the autopilot will steer the boat better, better than, than we can sail. Um, maybe not all the time, but definitely better than you can when you haven't slept for 48 hours and, and you're nodding off at the helm. 
So that's kind of our biggest aid. Our next, next biggest thing really, again, the electronics is navigational software that allows us to plot where we're going to go using the weather files that we've taken before the start of the race because we've got no access to them out there. And it also shows us the AIS for the boats out there. So, you know, you can have your head down inside the boats and still kind of ha have an eye out to sea so you can see the fishing boats if they've got it, the, the yeah. passenger boats and, and the cargo ships crossing the channel, for example. Okay, well, what about the boat? Let's get some stats. For the foil-assisted Figaro Beneteau 3. Top speed? 22 knots. By record. Length? 10 metres. Sail numbers? Seven sails with two kites and one code zero. Toilet? Well, the sea or a bucket. Coffee machine? Just yeah, joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny you say that. I actually, uh, one of the lads does have a little coffee machine on board. He has one of those little pressurised, uh, tiny little um, like camping job. All right, so someone's got a coffee machine. Have you, have you got any little luxuries on board? Is there something you always like to pack? Oh, you have chocolates, yeah. <laughs> I love, uh, love a bit of chocolate on board. For, for, for some of the young sailors listening who, who might aspire to, to doing this race one day, uh, how did you start? You know, wh what's your background? Where did you come from? I'm a dinghy sailor. You know, I've, I've done a lot of dinghy sailing on the south coast of the UK. I was... I'd be very lucky to have a load of really great, great helmsmen and crews and, and a variety of different boats. And, and that really was my, my introduction into sailing. And I absolutely loved it. And, and went you know, through the youth boats into the adult boats and, uh, and did the national circuits in a variety of classes and then moved into to keel boat sailing. And, and through my university, I was you know, heavily involved with yacht sailing and, and team racing. So starting to already get a variety of, different racing under my belt my first foray into the offshore stuff which was something i've always wanted to do following the vendee globe and the volvo was uh, doing a delivery on a figure a3 with a friend of mine and that you know really blew my mind if you would <laughs> uh, to see that you could sail all through the night as well as through the day so i then applied to the artemis offshore academy got offered a place and and did the year's training with them and then got offered a place to do the solitaire de figure race. That was, that was kind of the beginning of the, of the offshore story. And since then it's, I've kind of developed that out and built up my own sponsorship portfolio and uh, I've been lucky enough to be, be doing it ever since. Now you, you modestly were talking about, you know, always learning and still being some way off uh, considering yourself an experienced sailor, but you, know, you were, you were doing a lot of tests and sailing with uh, Hugo Boss and Alex Thompson last year, weren't you? Yeah, no, I'm very lucky that you know Alex. Alex followed followed the solitaire last year, and he dropped me a message at the end of it. And when I came back to the UK, we met up and started talking, and invited me out on the new boat, which you know was was an awesome opportunity. And I'm really grateful and lucky to to be able to sail with Alex. He's a fantastic sailor, and get, you know he is an experienced sailor. What did you learn from him and the team? It's interesting. It's a very different approach from the French guys. You know, he's racing, he sails and trains by himself, not in, not in the training group like the French guys do. And he trains against himself in that he, they have all the statistics from the old boats and they're able to compare, you know, uh, their performance versus, versus their old performance. And uh, I guess it, for me, the interesting thing is to see how someone outside of France has built up a project one with sponsors, finding the sponsors, managing the sponsors, but also 
performance aspect of the boat. And Alex, Alex definitely has his own approach and it definitely seems to work. So uh, for me, it was a great opportunity to, to see all of that from the inside. Okay, so you've mentioned France and, and the French sailors. Um, and what, what, what is it about France that they seem to have... Uh, they seem to be so strong. They seem to have such a, a control of this type of sailing. You know, all the biggest races, well, most of them anyway, all start and finish in France. Um, they're run by French organisations. And, and, and I presume you speak French because every other kind of British offshore sailor I've ever met who's gone through the Artemis uh, Academy uh, speaks French because you spend so much time in France learning the trade. What, what is it about that country that um, has put them in that position? You've opened many tins with that, with your introductory sentence there. But it's, you know, for me, the main thing is, is they have the races and they have the ability to get out there sailing. And I think they have a very, you know, organic environment that, that works for them where they have the sponsors, they have the media and they have the sailors and the whole thing works because they each feed each other. And I think you remove one of those and, and the whole thing can't work. And we're missing a little bit here in the UK, the kind of connection and with the media, uh, you know, it's not as strong as what they have there. So they're really able to, to validate and justify their returns to the sponsor. Um, in terms of why they're so good, I mean, one, the racing's on their doorstep, so it's, it's a lot easier for them. They're exposed to it at a really young age, and you know, when they, when you're a nipper in a in an oppy, you know, your your inspirations are other guys like Michel Desbois, Louis Perron, Alain Gauthier, because you see them and and you can see that pathway to professional sailing. Their connection with the water is, is a lot closer, I feel, than, than what we have. You know, from a young age, they're they're out cruising with their parents. They do a lot more cruising and sailing around the coastline. You know, it's not, it's not unheard of for, for families with, with kids of two or three years old to go off sailing and, and spend a year in the Caribbean or, or cruising around the world. So a lot of them have done a lot of that. And I think it's part of their school curriculum as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah they sell, sell optimists. Nearly everyone in France has sailed an optimist because it's, Part, as you say, part of the school curriculum, especially around the coastline, they do optimistic sailing and windsurfing. So they're very connected to the sea. I know you've studied naval architecture, and I'm sure that helps with your campaign um, and understanding, you know, the boat and and helps you sail better. But what about the business side of things? Because you know how how big a headache is it to put a project like this together? Yeah, it's the hardest part. I mean, getting out there sailing, I think anyone who loves sailing will happily spend time on the water, but getting, getting out there and doing the hard work to raise the funds, to manage the sponsors, to, to build up your, your, pro, you know, your portfolio and, and, and sell it, if you would, and give, them, and give the sponsors a good return. That's the hardest part. And, and, and you know, not the reason people necessarily come into this sport to do. So... It's a massive challenge, and I'm very lucky to again have a brilliant support network around me of of people, including my my parents, who have helped me and advised me down this route, and and then later on friends and actually sponsors who are actively involved in Alan Roberts Racing as a business to to help find, uh, gen- maintain, and uh, and generate returns for the sponsors. So it's it's a massive error, and it, it can't be overlooked at all. Yeah, I mean, what I always find extraordinary is when you go to, you know, the start of the Vendée Globe 
and, and a lot of these races, and indeed um, the Solitaire. Um, the sponsors on the French boats are sort of very local, regional. They're not multinational companies. And you just get a feeling that there's, it's, it's very much a, a local community support behind um, their local sailors. Or your boat on, on this race is called Seacat Services. Presumably, um, they're your big sponsor, but there's a whole team of them that come together to help you. What I've tried to build up, you know, I have a very international sponsorship, sponsors around me, but I also have... Uh, within that international group, some very, very local connections. So Seacat Services, as you said, are the title sponsor. They're a wind farm service vessel operating uh, company based out of Cowes, the Isle of Wight. Um, I'm also very lucky to be sponsored and supported by Chartwell Marine, who work with Seacat in designing their, their boats. So quite a nice connection there. Um, marine Results, based out of Hamble, uh, Zyke, um, you know, I live live pretty near to the global marketing director, uh, which is really, really helpful. So, you know, again, it's, it's local, it's, it's everyone helping each other out. And, and I've, I, I think that's what the French have done, done really well. And, and that's what I'm trying to emulate in, in my sponsorship buildup, uh, in my group of, you know, we call it the Alan Roberts racing family. And, and it helps to generate more visibility for, for the area, for the region and for the sponsors and, and their, given industries. Let's talk about the opposition. Um, probably the biggest name in, in, in the fleet is Armel Leclerche, who won the last Vendée Globe, of course. Who do you fear most? Is he the man to beat or are there others that uh, you see as a bigger challenge in this particular race? Yeah, I wouldn't say fear is the right word. We, we all get on. It's pretty interesting in this world. We all get on pretty well. And because once you're out there, you're kind of a, you're kind of a family out on the water and, and you're looking out for each other. So there's a massive camaraderie in the fleet and everyone's actually pretty, gets on pretty well and understands, you know, the hardships that you have to go through just to finish the race. So who do I think are the, going to be the biggest, pe hardest people to beat this year? For sure, Armel's up there. I mean, he doesn't get the name the Jackal for, for no reason. The, the, guy's, the guy's solid. He doesn't make any mistakes. Or if he does, he, he sees them very quickly. So he, he's going, well, you know, um, there's a young, young French lad, Tom Lepush, which who's sailing very quick. Um, uh, you know, Sam Goodchild as well, sailing very quick at the moment. Uh, Pierre Le Boucher, and for sure another standout one is, uh, is Jan Elias, having won the Figaro three times. You, you did really well in the last race. Top international sailor, non-French. Top international, yeah, but... Uh, what I'm after is, isn't top international. What I'm after is number one on the podium for the stop. Oh, yeah. um, but for sure, it's great. And uh, what's important is that all the internationals are doing well, really. Uh, but personally, for me, you know, the areas I know I have to work on is a little bit of boat speed. On the boat speed side of stuff, been doing small, small iterations on that that's, that's improved over the last six months massively, my consistency and speed. And I'm definitely up on speed from where I was last year, uh, which, is, which is really cool. Um, my ambitions for this solitaire, you know, a great solitaire would be a top five. And, and I, I know I can achieve that on my day. And I've, I've proved that in the last race. Um, a good solitaire would be a top 10. And if I'm outside the top 15, I'd, I'd be disappointed. But, uh, but, but also, this, this game can go any way. And the very first thing you've got to do with the solitaire is finish every leg. And it's easy, easier said than done, that challenge. I'm, I'm there to win.
if I'm honest, you know, and, and eventually that's that's where I'd like to get to. If, if that's this year, that's great. If that's in 10 years' time, um, then if that's what it takes, you know, that's what I'm here for. I'm a competitive sailor and I want to finish, but I also want to finish first. You're beginning to sound like Alex Thompson in the Vendée Globe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what have you learned um, in, in your previous races, especially in the last one where you did so well? Uh, what, what, what are the main lessons that you learned that you're going to carry into this race? Keep it simple. Trust, trust my gut because, you know, that's what experience is. Experience is building up of, uh, of different scenarios that kind of almost uh, sit deep down within you. And sometimes you, you want to do something and, and you're not sure whether you should do it. But actually, what, what I've learned, and I've been working really hard with a coach, you know, a guy called Hugh Styles, which has been brilliant. And, and, and actually, I know, I know that I know how to sail. I know I know how to race. I've been successful in dinghies and I've been successful in the figure. Actually, I just need to go out there, not overthink it and, and keep it simple and do the basics right and, and let everyone else make the mistakes, which is what happened in the last race. And bigger ambition is the Vendée Globe, isn't it? You want to be there going round the world solo in 2024. Uh, this presumably is a stepping stone towards that bigger project. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, the Vendée Globe is, is where I'd like to end up. Um, and I'm working towards being, we've been working pretty hard trying to, trying to find a sponsorship. But we've, we've lived through some pretty difficult times globally and um, somehow this race is going ahead despite uh, COVID. How's it come about? Are you having to do things differently on board? I mean, it's a solo race, so it shouldn't really affect you once you're out on the water. Um, but what about the race villages and, and the organisation and all the rest of it? Yes, yeah, so I think I've picked the right sport for, for this time, this period. You know, still handed offshore. I don't think you can get, get much better than that. Uh, but an offshore isn't the issue. You know, once we're out there, we're, we're fine. It's actually everything around the event, which is includes the sponsors and and the ports hosting it so the french have done a, a fantastic job the french sailing federation the, the class and all the towns hosting us and the sponsors and partners involved and and what they've done is they've you know they've they've managed to set up the race villages you know that work within the current regulations in france uh, one-way systems masks uh, hand gels readily available and payment systems all set up for for the shops that are there and uh, maximum amounts of people in the race village, access limited to the pontoons and to protect the skippers, uh, briefings all done, you know, visually, visually over the internet using Zoom. And you know, they've done a great job on setting that up. And it's, uh, it's really remarkable that they've done that. And cool, cool for us, the sailors, great for the sponsors and hopefully cool for everyone that wants to follow it. That's got nothing else to watch over the next I, month. Yeah. I have to say that, um, the French have been a lot more positive um, about tackling the, the issues. It's the same, you know, with, with the communications coming out of the Vendée Globe. It's, it's you know, this is going to happen. Um, this is our current plan. It might change, but it's all about moving with the times rather than kind of sitting back and just waiting for everything to be solved and, uh, you know, for COVID to go away. It's about being interactive and reactionary, isn't it? Um, and, and, and they certainly seem to... Uh, to be that way, uh, the organisers of, of these French events. Okay, well, look, um, best of luck. Um, it's it's a long old haul, um, but uh, we'll be following you. Um, how how should we do that? 
Yeah, uh, follow us on our social media pages, Alan Roberts Racing on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, uh, LinkedIn as well for business users, but uh, also on the Solitaire website, you know, there's going to be live tracker on there using the Geo well, uh, application, so you can download that onto your phone. And that's, that's probably the best channels to follow us uh, for the race. That's, that's plenty of channels and we'll share all the links to those on the Sailing Uncovered Facebook page and we'll be um, tweeting some of those details as well so you can follow us. Uh, and don't forget, um, we've also got uh, our YouTube channel, so uh, check that out as well. Um, Alan, uh, again, best of luck. Yeah, great. Merci beaucoup and uh, hopefully see you at the end of the solitaire. And that's episode 35. Hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe free to the podcast because we've got some really special guests lined up over the coming months. You've got to believe me, just look at our list of episodes, look at some of those guests, look at some of those stories, and you've got to believe that we've got more of those great guests coming up over the next few episodes. And of course, the new shows will just drop into your podcast inbox automatically when you subscribe for free. From me, Alec Wilkinson, fair winds. <laughs>